All right. So here's the thing. We're going to be processing through the temptation of Christ over the next few weeks. And this morning we're going to begin by kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit and just talking about temptation. Right? Helping us have a better understanding of just temptation and what it is and, and how it impacts us so we have a better understanding of it as then we process through in the next couple of weeks the actual things that happen through the temptation of Jesus. Okay? Um, here's the thing. I, I think the temptation of Christ is one of those moments in the life of Jesus that necessarily didn't happen for Jesus' sake as much as for us. For us to look back on and say, you know what, look at how Jesus, you know, interacted in that moment. Look at what Jesus, how he responded. Look at the the way that Jesus overcame and had victory. And what can we learn from that? So it's one of those things where I want us to process through that for a few weeks and kind of break it up. And and then talk about how we have victory over temptation and and all of this. So that's where we're going to kind of be processing through with this. But I want to start with this. Peter tells us, be on guard. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are under the same kind of suffering. So, as we begin and we just kind of lay this foundation and put us all on the same page as we move forward with this, there's there's a few things that kind of struck me uh, that, that Peter's presenting here as we build this foundation to talk about temptation. And first is this. He challenges our, the importance of our attitude towards temptation. He starts by saying, be on guard. Be on guard. Some versions might say, be alert. Pay attention. Know what's going on around you. Right? Peter is using a language here that's saying, listen, think of yourself as a soldier that is on guard and there is the constant threat of an attack. Right? Don't let your guard down. Don't get comfortable. Don't let yourself ease the intensity of the moment. Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, be on guard. Because at any moment, at any time, when you're not expecting it, there can be an attack. So be on guard. He's stressing the importance of our attitude. The issue is, is one of the things our our enemy has done a great job of, and and even my own attitude, is we get complacent and we get comfortable and we let our guard down far too often. And many times when it comes to temptation, we don't even notice that we're being attacked and that we're falling into temptation until we're so far down it, we kind of like, how did I get here? Because we let our guard down. And Peter is stressing Be on guard. There is an enemy constantly waiting to attack you, an enemy that is constantly waiting for the opening to destroy you. Be on guard. There is no such thing as a day off when it comes to this truth. Ever. There is never a vacation from being on guard. Ever. He goes on to then challenge us on the seriousness of our enemy's intention. So he tells us, be on guard. What is your attitude? Be on guard. And he says, because you have an enemy that is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
This is why we're called to be on guard. We have an enemy that's number one intention is not just to make your life difficult. It's not just to make your life uncomfortable. It's not just to make you be like, man, that was a bad day. You have an enemy. I have an enemy that legitimately wants to destroy you. To devour you. To destroy your family, to destroy your marriage, to destroy you and your faith, to destroy the church. That is his intention. And Peter is saying, have the right attitude because this is the seriousness of what our enemy's intention is. And he goes on and he he calls us to action. He says, because of your attitude and because of the seriousness of he says, resist and stand firm. He calls us to actually engage in the fight that's going on towards us and around us. He's saying, listen, don't just watch for it and be on guard. When it comes against you, resist it and stand firm in the faith. Actually fight against it. Don't be complacent. Don't hide from it. Don't run from it. But resist and stand firm. And then he concludes, and I think this is a statement of encouragement, but he concludes by giving us some insight into the scope of what we're talking about. And he says, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are under the same kind of suffering. He's telling us, listen, you're not in this, we're not in this alone. Like, like none of us are being singled out. Like none of us are having the, the day off, right? We, we have a tendency sometimes, I think, the enemy likes to do this to us. He wants us to be struggling in our lives. He wants us to be struggling in our, in our own faith. And he wants us to be under the burden of temptation. And then we look at all the other Christians and we're like, well, why do they have it so easy? Why does it all work for them, but why do I got to struggle so much? And he wants us to fall even deeper into this this burden of, of despair because he wants us to think there's something about us that's even worse than everybody else. But Peter's telling us, no, listen, all the brothers, everybody, all the church, all the Christians, they're all facing the same stuff. We're all facing the same enemy that's trying to destroy us. We're all facing temptations. They, they look different, but we're still all suffering under it. And I think this is the encouragement because Peter's trying to rally the church together and say, this is why it's no such thing as isolated Christianity. This is why there's no individualistic faith. He's like, this is why we're called to be a body and a church and united together. This is why things like small group are so important and corporate worship and fellowship with one another and and being connected as a body because, again, he's like a roaring lion. And lions like to go after isolated people. Lions like to look for the weakest ones that are not protected by the pack, the herd. Because they're the easy targets. And and Peter's saying, no, we're all going through this. You're you're not alone. You're not facing something by yourself. 
And again, this is why the temptation of Jesus is so powerful, because it reminds us that not only do we have to face temptation and be on guard, and we have to resist, and we have to stand firm, but Jesus himself had to do this. And here's one of the things I want us to understand as we go through this over the next three weeks. Sometimes you can look at Scripture and you say, well, that's nice. Jesus got tempted, um, but that was like one time. Here's the thing. That's one time recorded. Jesus faced temptation consistently and constantly just like we do. His entire life he was under temptation. The same way you are. The same way I am. Every day Jesus was being tempted. The difference is I've never gone face to face with Satan himself. Like Jesus did. If you actually look at Scripture, there's only two recorded times when Satan himself showed up to do the tempting. You have Adam and Eve, and you have Jesus. And Jesus shows us that I know what this is like. This is why we can be encouraged by Scripture that tells us that we have a high priest that understands our weaknesses, and he understands what we go through because he faced it the same way we do. So as we begin and we begin to unmask temptation and we come to understand a little bit better, hopefully this is an encouragement to us to say, you know what, through Jesus I can have victory. Through Jesus I do have victory. And temptation isn't something we should fear. In fact, at the end of today's sermon, I hope, and just I'm going to give you a little preview of this, but I hope at the end of the sermon, part of you starts looking at temptation and actually starts thinking to yourself, bring it on. Bring it on temptation. Throw the best stuff you got at me. So here, let's kind of jump in and and process this about, let's talk and understand temptation. So first is this, let's all get on the same understanding of, of the purpose of life. If we were to sum it up, at least this is, this is the conclusion I came to, uh, just processing through this. If I were to ask myself or someone to ask me, what is the purpose? Why were we created? It simply comes to this. I believe we were created to worship, love, and serve God. That's it. To bring glory to God. That's why we were created. We were created to worship, love, and serve God. That's the purpose of my life. That's that's the the intention of why God wants me to enjoy him, and he wants to enjoy me. He wants us to have a beautiful relationship with one another that's united together for all eternity for the purpose of me worshiping him, giving him glory, loving him with everything that I have, and serving him with everything I have. This is what Jesus said, the greatest command, love the Lord your God with everything that you got. Everything that you have, that is the greatest commandment. And I do that by worshiping him, I do that by serving him, and I do that by passionately loving him. So then what is temptation? Temptation, in my opinion, is simply this. Temptation is the enticement to worship, love, and serve the created rather than the creator. Right? So temptation, whatever form it takes, whatever it is, temptation is the enticement, it's the luring, it's the, hey, come do this, that wants me to put something created before the only one that deserves my worship, my love, and my service, which is God. 
And we're going to process through this so you can, you can see this and we can all come to understand this. But that's ultimately what temptation is. Temptation is make a choice that puts something or someone before God. Make something or someone more important than God. That's what the enticement is. It's the enticement, like I said, to make the choice that exalts actually me more than God. Right? Because if you think about a lot of temptation, the temptation usually is, and we're going to talk, we'll get to this, but when we think about temptation, especially like sinful temptation, temptation, normally the thing that I'm being tempted with, I chase after it, I'm enticed to want it because I want to please me. I want to make me happy. I want to fulfill something in me. And that becomes more important to me than in glorifying and worshiping and loving and serving God. So when I make the choice to take hold of the temptation, I'm actually being enticed to make a choice that exalts myself rather than exalting God. Temptation is the drawing of us to seek after selfish ambitions and to ultimately and foolishly attempt to ascend myself above God himself. See, some of us are probably saying, well, that, no, come on. I mean, yeah, I'm tempted and I do stuff. But here's the thing. If you think about it, what was the temptation that Satan brought to Eve when, when, before she ate? He's like, listen, he's like, eat of this. This is the temptation. Eat of this because God knows once you eat of this, you're going to be like him. Right? You, you have the right to be just like God, to make your own decisions, to do what you want, to know the difference between good and evil. See, we hear that, and we're like, why would I ever want to know evil? Because we know what evil is. I mean, I can kind of picture Eve here, and he, you know, Satan's like, you'll know the difference between good and evil. And she's like, ooh, evil, what's that? I want to know what that is. It's kind of a pretty word. I want to eat of that because I want to be like God. I want to ascend and be more than I am because I think I'm, I deserve it. Scripture tells us that's the same thing that made Satan himself fall. Scripture tells us that he, he had this idea that he could foolishly ascend his throne to be above the throne of God. And to exalt himself to a position that he was never created to have. And this is what temptation is. No matter how great or how small, every temptation that comes our way and tries to lure us away from what God wants from us and what God created us for is a temptation for us to try to exalt ourselves above God himself, to be like God, which we were never created for in the first place. This was never intended for us, but this is the temptation See, temptation, to understand it just a little bit better, temptation is an offer to us. It's an offer to us to reject God. Do you realize that? This is, as I was kind of thinking about this, I was like, God, I, I don't like this because what about those small temptations, Lord, that I give into, that I know I shouldn't give, give into? Lord, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not rejecting you. And God's like, yeah, you really are. Every 
every temptation that you know you should not follow, every temptation, he says, David, every single one, no matter if you think it's insignificant, if you think it's small and tiny, it doesn't matter the degree of the temptation. He said, David, when you take hold of it and when you live it out, you're rejecting me. You're rejecting my purpose for you. You're rejecting my will for you. You're rejecting my goodness for you. You're ultimately rejecting my love for you. And again, I'm saying all this because I'm not trying to make you, I mean, hopefully we're not sitting here like, oh man, this, I feel horrible. Because as I was thinking about this, I like, man, I, but we have to have a clear understanding of what temptation is because we've kind of turned it into a joke. We've turned temptations into kind of a joke. I've never watched it, but I remember seeing commercials for it. I don't even know if it's still on, on TV or not. But there's, I mean, we actually live in a society that has reality TV shows called Temptation Island. Hey, you know what we should do for entertainment? We should take some couples that are having difficulty in their relationship, and let's go put them on an island somewhere, and we'll see who cheats. Right? We'll see who gives in to the temptation. Right? We've turned temptation into this joking thing that, that makes it out that it's not that bad. And as long as Christians, we can say, you know what, yeah, there's temptation, but I don't give in to the big ones, right? I don't, I don't give in to those significant ones, those, you know, those really bad ones, right? It's kind of like the, a, a, a husband that says to himself, you know, well, you know, I, I'm still committed to my wife, but I watch a lot of stuff on the internet that I shouldn't watch, right? Like, that's not a big deal. You know, it's important to get to the heart of what temptation is. Here's the thing. No matter how big or how small the temptation, no matter how insignificant we assume it is, no matter what excuse we make to try to rationalize the, rationalize the choices that we make, we have to understand this. The goal of every temptation is to place us on a path that will harden our hearts, entangle our affections, deafen our ears, weaken our faith, steal our joy, dilute our love, and quench our zeal. That's the goal of temptation. The goal of every temptation is to make that happen in our lives. To pull us away from the fullness of what God has for us by putting us on a path that before we know it, we end up in a place saying, how did I get here? You know, I was thinking about this, and, and again, we'll process it a little bit more in, in a few moments, but I was thinking about this, that a lot of times uh, with temptation, I, I think that, you know, again, we fool ourselves when it comes to this, because we all can notice when someone falls to the big temptations, right? Like when someone, you know, like you watch TV, and, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, another religious leader just did this, and you're like, man, how did you, how'd you, how'd you do that? You know, we, we can notice when people fall to these big temptations, Again, the reason the enemy wants us to lessen the importance and significance of temptation is because the enemy doesn't destroy us with big temptations. He destroys us with little temptations over time. Do we realize this? 
It's not the big ones that that destroy us. It's the little ones that he just over time continues to chip away. And before we know it, we end up in a place where the big ones come and we're not able to resist and stand and we fall because he's weakened us to that point because we've stopped paying attention to the little things that he's throwing at us. This week I was working on the sermon actually and it was interesting because... uh, uh, I can't think of that. I think it's, I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's a Casting Crown song. But it talks about it's a slow fade, right? When a man falls away, right? It doesn't happen instantaneously. It happens slowly over time. And this is the importance of temptation. Again, remember, we have an enemy that wants to destroy you. Temptation, it will defeat us. It can distract us. It can destroy us, it can slow us down, it can discourage us, it can hinder us, it can just tire us. Remember, Jesus said the enemy comes to do three things. Kill, steal, and destroy. That's it. So I'm hitting hard on this because I don't want anybody to leave here and say, you know, yeah, temptation, it's, yeah, whatever. It's not that big a deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. That's why Peter started that passage by saying, Christian, be on guard. Christian, be on guard. Now I'm going to throw a thought out there that, I mean, I'm not going to say here that like this is 100% true and like I know this for certain, but I feel this way. Anybody that's in this room, I want you to hear me right now when it comes to this. Anybody that's not a Christian, not a believer in Jesus, not a a, a born again believer in Jesus, I, I want you, temptation is only for Christians. And the reason I say that is because if I'm not a Christian, how can I be tempted to reject God? I mean, that's what I am. My whole life is rejecting God. You can't tempt me to reject someone I don't even know in the first place. So if you call yourself a Christian right now, if you know you're a follower of Jesus and you're born again believer in Jesus Christ, he is your Lord and Savior, realize temptation is coming after you. Because the enemy just wants you to reject All that God has for you. So, what are some lessons that we can learn from the temptation of Jesus for this morning? First is this, and I keep hitting on it, but let's just say it clearly. Temptation, Christian, temptation is to be expected. Don't ever think temptation is never to be expected. Listen to this. If Jesus was tempted, if if Satan himself had the arrogance to think that he could tempt the Son of God into rejecting the Father, don't ever assume that the enemy is not going to tempt you. Don't ever assume the enemy is going to look at you and be like, I'm not messing with them. There ain't no way I'm touching them. That dude had the arrogance to go toe-to-toe with Jesus. So we have to expect temptation. The other thing I want us to understand with this, that temptation is to be expected. Hear me for, again, Christian, don't fall into the trap to think that you have to seek a temptation-free life. If you think the ultimate goal of your Christianity is to live in this place where you don't have any temptation, Satan has fooled you with a lie. If you think the goal of maturity as a Christian is to not be tempted, you're fooling yourself. If you're constantly praying to Lord, Lord, please don't let me have any temptations in my life, you're fooling yourselves. 
And somebody here, if you know the Bible well enough, you're, you might be sitting here going, well, wait a minute, Jesus told me to pray. Don't lead me into temptation. We'll get to that in the next couple of weeks. But I don't think that means what you think it means. <laughs> the goal of my life is not to not be around temptation. Just living in this world, I'm around temptation. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. So don't think that the goal is, man, I just need to live a, a temptation-free life. There's something wrong with me if I'm still tempted with things. That's not, the, that's not the point. Spurgeon actually said this. He says, we are never out of reach of temptation. Those who think themselves secure are more exposed to danger than anyone else. So Jesus tells us and shows us we better be expecting temptation to come because he had to face it. The second thing is this. Temptation is consistent and temptation is adaptive. So what we learn from Jesus' temptation is that it's constant. If you actually look at the language of Jesus' temptation, it wasn't Jesus fasted for 40 days and then Satan showed up and did four or did these three temptations to Jesus. That's how we can kind of read it. Like Jesus was fasting for 40 days and then all of a sudden Satan showed up on the last day and says, hey, I got three temptations. Let's do this. The language actually makes it out more that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 days he was constantly tempted. Scripture only gives us three of them. Like this was an ongoing temptation that was happening to Jesus in this moment. This wasn't just three times and then poof, he was gone. This was an ongoing, constant barrage of temptation. I love the way Matthew says it. We're not going to look it up, but I was just thinking about this this morning. It says in Matthew, it says, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Then he was hungry. And I was like, dude... No, I'm sure he was hungry before 40 days. Like, that's pretty good if you can go 40 days. You'd be like, man, it'd be nice to have some food. So you got to watch the language and what you're thinking here. So we have to understand that temptation is consistent. It's happening all the time. Right now, whether you realize it or not, people in this room, you are being tempted right now. I guarantee it. Because you get thoughts that pop into your head that you're just like, man, I want to think about that for a while. Like, right now, somebody's thinking about lunch. Right? Guarantee it. And if you were, I just tempted you to. So now you are. Right? Somebody's thinking, I've listened to him preach before. He likes to go longer than Matt sometimes. We better not be here for a while. Somebody's thinking that. Right? We're tempted. Constantly. And we try to pretend like it doesn't happen unless it's the big stuff. We are tempted constantly. And it's adaptive. What I mean by that, it's, there's variety to it, right? When you look at the temptation of Jesus, Satan just didn't come with the same thing over and over and over again. He tried one thing, it didn't work. He's like, all right, let's try this. He brought another thing, it didn't work. All right, let's try another thing, and it didn't work. And then if you look at the life of Jesus, he actually used the people around Jesus to try to bring temptation. You have Jesus saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be abused, and I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, Lord, I will never let that happen. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You're not tempting me to not do the will of the Father. Right? There's variety. 
Satan adapts the attack. He, he sees the places where you're, he comes at you and maybe you're strong in that moment. And he's like, oh, that's not the place to come. Let's come over here. Let's try this one. Oh, no, I'm too strong there. So let's try over here. He's adaptive. He will come in different ways at different times in different people in different situations because everything he wants to do is just find the weak spot to get in. And with the last thing I want you to understand, and then we're going to look at something to understand how temptation works, is temptation is gradual. Right? As it's consistent, it keeps building. Right? The enemy is going to try small, and if he can get that foothold in there, he's going to try a little bit more. And he's going to get that foothold in there, he's going to try a little bit more, and he's just going to take you a little bit deeper, and a little bit deeper, and a little bit deeper. Because with his consistency, he's going to gradually take you again farther than you want to go. Many of us in this room will say, I am good at resisting the big temptations. But how are we resisting the little ones? Because the little ones is what gives him access to go deeper and further. And we have to understand that. That's what we see. Because if you look at what Satan did with Jesus, remember, where did he start? Hey, Jesus, you're hungry, man. Why don't you make some bread? That's the small one. Why don't you eat some? Feed yourself. Oh, you didn't want that one? Okay, so he went up a little bit bigger. He got bigger. He's like, hey, Jesus, why don't you throw yourself off the top of the tabernacle or the temple and, and you know, let's see if God's going to save you. And then he goes to the big one. He's like, Jesus, I know you're here because you're going to rule the world. Let's just skip all this stuff. Let's skip all this back and forth. Let's skip you dying for people. Let's skip this whole cross thing. Let's just skip all that. You bow down to me now and I'll just give you all the kingdoms. He gradually went bigger and bigger and bigger. This is how temptation works. So, where does temptation come from? Because we need to define this too. First, it comes from Satan himself. The Bible tells us this is the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led up into the spirit, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry and the tempter came. So, first and foremost... Temptation from Satan, right? We all get that. We all understand that. We're not going to spend any more time on that. It comes from Satan himself, from spiritual forces against us, from demons, and however you want to understand how that works. The second thing is temptation comes from the world, right? Bible tells us, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, world, the love of the Father is not in them. So just being in the world is a temptation, I'm surrounded by temptation every single day. If you want an example of this, here's the thing. I, I enjoy TV. I like TV. I talk way too much about movies and different things, and I get made fun of a lot at staff meetings that Matt and I have to have conversations about Marvel, DC, or Star Wars at some point in time during a staff meeting. But here's the thing. Every single person in this room, every time you turn on the TV, do you realize you're turning on a constant source of temptation? And I'm not saying this to be like, don't watch TV. I'm just saying, do you understand that's what it is? Think about everything that you watch on TV. Every single thing we watch, right? We're tempted with lust. We're tempted with being selfish. We're tempted with having envy. We're tempted to having anger. We're tempted to covet things. We're tempted to be jealous. You don't think you're not? Think about what you feel when you watch different things. You see what other people have and you're like, oh, I want that. Advertising. We should just call it temptation. That's what advertising is. You need this. You want this. Your life is not complete without it. Right? Oh, I just bought an iPhone. The new one's coming out tomorrow. I gotta have that one. 
Anybody like watching the news? Does it make you angry? Temptation. It tempts you to get angry and frustrated and upset and just be in a place of just negativity. The TV is just that one thing is just pouring reasons for you to be tempted constantly. Just the world around us will tempt us. But then temptation also comes from ourselves. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Sometimes you don't need to have the devil tempting you, and sometimes you don't need the world tempting you. Sometimes the temptation comes from your sinful nature just itself. Sometimes it's just us wanting it. Oh, I want that. Sometimes we're the one that drives ourselves to try to chase after the things that we know we're not supposed to have. And see, this one's important because we have to understand with this one that we can't live our lives always blaming somebody else or something else for our choices, which is what we like to do, don't we? What's that old thing? The devil made me do it. Can I just, the devil made, he never made you do nothing. Devil hasn't ever made anybody in this room do anything. He may have suggested, he may have pushed, he may have prodded, but you're the one that made the choice. We like to blame other people, right? Well, I wouldn't be so angry and negative if stupid people over there wouldn't do this. Mm, Sorry. Can't blame other people for your attitude, right? I wouldn't be walking around so unforgiving and, you know, if people wouldn't have done this to you. You see, no. Like, I wouldn't have these thoughts in my mind if that woman wouldn't wear that stuff or that guy wouldn't do this. We like to blame everybody else like it's not our fault. The scripture's clear. And we're going to go a little deeper in this here in a moment. But I, I want to I kind of do something. Maybe it'll help us understand temptation and how it works. So everything we're talking about. And I appreciate this. I want to throw this out here real quick. Um, I haven't fished forever. So I don't even have a fishing pole. And I was like, hey, Shauna, do you guys have a fishing pole? And I see it. And I'm like, she brought me like a kid pole. Which I appreciate it, by the way. But I'm like, what the world is that? <laughs> Especially when I'm like, one of the things I'm going to put on this is going to be, like, if, if I break it, I apologize. I won't break it. I also got to say this real quick, just, just as a fun fact. They brought it to me, and it had a hook on it already. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I was like, wait a minute. David, that's the last thing you need to have happen in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> As you stick that stupid hook in your hand. And then you got to try to act manly. When like everything in you is screaming, get it out. Um, so anyways, this is how Satan works, right? I went and got some worms. Right? Little gummy worm. Right? You got to have worms to fish. Right? This is what Satan does. He comes. He's like, Listen. I'm going to lure them. See, this is why I don't fish. You see? But he comes out, and he's just like, dude, I'm going to pick on you. Want a worm? Do you want a worm? We should have talked before this, because you're supposed to say no. Because we're still living in COVID, and I touched that. So you, you don't want a worm? Okay. Well, see, Satan's like, crap. All right. Well, a worm didn't work. All right. I got this. Hold on. He's like, I know what I'll do. I got this. I got this. Hold on. 
Get some bigger bait. Say no again, okay? <laughs> it's been about 15 minutes. You're hungrier. Want some M&Ms? You really do, but you're, you're, you're going with me, right? See, I'm, I'm God at this moment. Say no. Good job. All right, he's like, dang it. All right, hold on. Remember, I said gradual, consistent, right? All right, hold on, hold on. Oh. Want some M&Ms? Say no. Say yeah. Because right now you're thinking, hey, we're just getting bigger. It's like bigger prizes, right? So see what's in there. All right, I got one more. Legitimately, I'm not joking. You say no. My wife would not be happy if he's. I'm not going to get as close either. My heart bucks. Good job. You know everything in him right now. It's just like, I can move faster than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100 bucks? You don't want it? All right. See, this is how Satan works with temptation, right? This is, this is how he, he, he does it. And he just keeps that constant dangling in front of us. But this is what we're talking about when it says the desires, right? Because here's the thing. There's nothing evil about worms. Well, these worms, if you want to eat them, there's nothing evil about any of this stuff. Here's the thing. There's nothing even evil about this. Bible even tells us that money is not evil. What is the love of money? It's the desire in us. See, the temptation itself is not the problem. The temptation is not the problem. The temptation normally isn't even of something evil in the first place. It's the desire in us that's the problem. See, it's the same thing with trying to fish. Again, not an expert fisherman by any means. But people that fish understand that you have to use different bait to catch different fish. Because you have to use a bait that's going to make the natural instinct in that fish desire what you're offering more than their own common sense. And that's what Satan does. He wants to dangle things in front of us that's going to make it that your sinful nature is finally going to get to the place where you're like, I can't say no anymore. And you're going to grab hold of something because you're going to give in to that selfish nature instead of following what you know God has for you. And that's why you have to understand temptation is constant and it's gradual and it's adaptive. Right? The thing that you think you can say no to today is not necessarily the thing that you're going to be in a place mentally to say no to tomorrow if you rely on yourself to overcome temptation. Because he's just going to keep coming after you with, okay, he didn't want that, but what if, how about this? How about this? How about this? And again, remind yourself, it's not the big ones that are the problem. It's the little ones. Before you know it, let me give you an example. Anybody ever had this symptom? You don't have to answer, but I know you have, because I have them. Oh man, it's Sunday morning. This is my day of rest. 
I was up late last night. I'm going to sleep in this morning. And I'm not going to go be part of the body of Christ. Right? And I'm not sitting here like, how dare you? I'm not saying that. See, that's a small thing. Because maybe that might happen sometimes. Here's the deal. Sometimes there's things that come up and it's like, yes. I'm not going to say that missing church one time or, you know, like. But here's what happens. Satan's just like, hey, you remember how nice that felt last week? <laughs> remember? Like, nothing bad happened. Like, you're, you still believe. Your faith is still there. Like, the world didn't come to an end. You're tired this morning. Why don't you? Felt good, didn't it? You felt energized. Why don't you stay home this? Okay, I'll stay home. The third week rolls around, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, I got something. Why, why don't you see? Why don't you go fishing instead of come to church? See, some of you were tempted during this. You're like, man, I could be fishing right now. See, and before you know it, what Satan's done is he's taken one small temptation, and before you know it. You might be a person that's like, you know what? I don't feel very connected to church anymore. I don't really have a desire to go. I don't feel close to anybody. I just, what's the point? And before you know it, you're like, how did I end up here? See, that's how temptation works. It's not the, hey, why don't you just reject going to church? It's, and that's just one example. Think about any of them. Now, here's the thing. Not only does he do that, but he also fishes at us with some other things. He'll say things like this. He'll be like, it's not just about actions, right? He likes to tempt us, tempt us with emotion. So let's say something happens, or right now maybe you don't like what I'm saying, or maybe during another sermon you didn't like what something was said, or something happens in the church, or something that happens at work, or your wife says something, your husband says something, whatever it is, something. And Satan comes along and he says, you know what? You need to be mad. Let's be mad. Be mad. You have the right to be mad. Be a jerk. He does that to me all the time. Like, he'll come to me and be like, David, did you believe they just said that to you? You have the right to use your sarcasm to be a jerk back. And I'll say, yes, I do. <laughs> this is what I think. Or some of us might live more with this one, right? We see the things that's going on in our lives and Satan comes along and he tempts you with emotion. He says, you know what? You need to be stressed out. Right? That's your emotion. Like, be stressed out. You need to be, like, frustrated and just razzled all the time and on the go and rushing all the time. And anytime God comes and says, hey, why don't you slow down? You're like, I can't, man. My to-do list is, and all these people expect things from me, and I have to get all this done. And God says, well, why don't you just stop? And let's get in the Word. Let's spend some time praying. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Do you know how much stuff I have to get done? You know how many responsibilities I have? And this is how you live your life. It's just, you're stressed out. Some of us, Satan likes to come along and he just wants you to live in fear. He's tempting you to be fearful all the time. Ah, the country's falling apart. You better live in fear. Right? Ah, can't be gas prices going crazy. You better live in fear. You you better live in fear because you might get sick. You better live in fear because it's just added to the list, right? He's constantly tempting you to live in fear. Be a fear of everything. Oh, I can't step out, God, and do that for you because I'm too afraid to do that for you. And that's where he wants you all the time. And then this is the one that hits me the most because I actually read a book once that told me that being bored was a sin. I'm like, crap, I'm bored a lot. (laughs) 
But some of us, man, Satan is just tempting you all the time. Like, oh, I'm just bored. Life, I got, you know, really? What do we have to be bored about? Honestly, like I'm bored a lot, but God's really been, he's just like, knock it off, David. Out of all the stuff I've given you in life, you, you seriously tell me you can't find something to do? Like right now, I guarantee you there's somebody in this room and you're just like, man, I am bored. <laughs> like we are past an hour already. Here's the deal, people. I still have seven minutes. And I've probably got 25 of sermon left, so no, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So here's the thing. I want us to bring it all together and understand temptation with another scripture, and then as we kind of bring this all together. But James says this to us. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. As we bring this all together, I want us to all understand something that no one could ever say here and say, it's someone else's fault I was tempted and I gave in. It was the devil's fault. It was these people's fault. It's the world's fault. We can't even say it's God's fault. James is saying, listen, it's not God's fault. It's never God's fault. It's never, it's our fault. Each one, that's all of us, tempted by our own evil desires. The only reason we fall into temptation is because of us. Ever. Ever. But we have to embrace this and understand this because this has been going on from the beginning. Any of us that have studied it enough and we've heard it enough, right? God shows up and he says, Adam, what did you do? Dude, it's that woman's fault. Not only was it the woman's fault, Adam had some guts, man. Adam's like... It's the woman's fault that you gave me. (laughs) Not my fault. Her fault. Eve, what did you do? Satan's fault. Like, not my fault. Satan's fault. Goes to the God even goes to the devil. Dude, what's up? (laughs) Devil's like, yeah, I did it. You know, he didn't actually say that, but that's just funny to me. He, he doesn't even give the, the devil a chance to like, it's like, but we try to blame everyone else. But he's telling us, James is telling us, it's no one else's fault but our own. And we have to understand that because before we can start being, uh, have the ability to overcome the temptation that God has designed us to be able to overcome, we have to understand where the power lies. It lies in Jesus Christ, but it also lies in us accepting the truth that it's because of our evil desire. Our evil desire, my sinfulness is what causes me to chase after the things that Satan and the world dangle in front of me. We have to understand that. But here's the last thing I want us, you know, as we think about this, just as we bring this and we, and we, and we package it all, the neutrality of temptation. This is where I hope at the end of this, we're kind of like, man, that kind of, bring it on. The neutrality of temptation is this. The things that tempt us, like I said before, are not evil. Because Scripture tells us it's our own evil desire that makes them that way. Money is not evil. 
The other big one that kind of pops into my head when you think about this is money is not evil, but sex is not evil. We've, we've turned it into being evil, but it's not. It's a gift from God. Enjoy it. The church has even turned it very evil. It's like, we can't talk about that. We shouldn't, but it's a gift from God. The thing is, is God says, I've made it with a purpose and a plan. It's not evil as long as you stay within the purpose and the plan. That's the true of all these things that God gives us. He's like, listen, I've designed this with a purpose and a plan. You can use them and enjoy them, but the temptation is to use them and enjoy them outside of God's intended purpose and plan. Again, there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. There's nothing wrong with any of that until it becomes more important to you than God. When you begin to worship and love and serve the created versus the creator. When it starts to challenge our very purpose of life. Because temptation never puts anything into a person. It only draws out that which is already in them to start with. Our own evil desires. But here's the good news as I talk about the neutrality of temptation. Every temptation, and hopefully this is what I want you to land on as we prepare to leave. Every temptation that provides the potential, the potential for evil at the same time provides the potential for glory. This is where I want you to start changing our mindset towards temptation. Every moment of temptation that provides the possibility for evil provides at the same time the possibility for glory. Listen to what James also says. James says, consider it pure joy, joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials or that word meaning testing or that word also meaning temptation of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. James is telling us Christians to be excited when we're tempted. Because if we know we stand upon the truth and power of God, that which Satan wants to use for evil, God will use for glory. Because every time we resist temptation... Something amazing happens. God is glorified, and you were matured. Did you hear that? Every time you resist temptation, God is glorified, and you are matured. James goes on in that same chapter, and he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. One theologian said it this way that I thought was extremely powerful. They said, Holiness in its best estate is possible only under conditions which make it necessary to meet, resist, and triumph over temptation. What they're saying is if we truly want to pursue holiness, which is the thing that we should want more than anything else, is to be holy before God. He has called us, be holy just as I am holy. And we are being told that the best estate of holiness is when we live under the conditions that we have to face them, resist them, and triumph over temptation. Because that which has the potential for evil also has the potential for glory. 
So Christians, let us stop running and fearing temptation, but instead let us stand upon the power of Jesus Christ and say, bring it on. Throw your best stuff at me because I know that when I stand in Jesus, I will bring him glory and I'm going to mature in my faith. Last scripture, thanks be to God, right? This is Paul talking about death and victory and and the sting of death. And he ends it by saying, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do you not hear him talking about temptation with this? He's like, listen, stand firm in temptation. Let nothing move you when it comes to temptation. Give yourself fully to the work that God has given you, which is to resist and to stand and to mature and to grow and to persevere and to be used by God for amazing things. He says, because you know that when you resist and you stand, you're labor is not in vain. So hopefully as you leave here today, let us not fear temptation. Let us understand it. Let us stand in the face of it. Let us resist it. And let us have the confidence in Jesus, not in you, but in Jesus to say, bring it on. Because the more you throw at me, the stronger you're going to make me. That should be our intention. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for uh, your word this morning. I thank you for uh, just that confidence that we have in you. That, that ability, Lord, that I hope that when we leave here today, none of us will leave here with any confidence in ourselves. That's not the point. It's not our confidence in us. It's all in you. Because, Lord, I know when left to myself, your word tells me it's my sinful desires, Lord. I can't do this without you. But through Jesus Christ... Through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I am told in Scripture, and I believe it down in the depths of my very soul, that I am not in that sinful nature, Lord, but your word tells me that I am a new creation, that I am redeemed, that I am alive, that I am spiritually awakened, and because of the Holy Spirit living in me, I don't have to succumb to that sinful nature. I don't have to live out the desires of that evil nature. Because, Lord, I can live out the new nature that you have given to me in Jesus Christ. Lord, let our confidence be in you today. And as we leave here, let us look at the world. Let us look at the devil as he comes against us. Let us look at all the things that press in upon us and not fear them, but instead stand upon the victory that is ours in Jesus and say, bring it on. The thing which you meant for evil, God will use for good. The thing that you meant to destroy me, God is going to use to strengthen me. The thing you use to try to stop me from becoming who Jesus has called me to be is the thing that God is going to use to bring glory to himself. Lord, and I'm going to run the race that you have given to me, as your word tells us to. We give you praise in all of it, Lord. Let us be on guard. Let us stand firm. Let us resist. And let us just trust you each and every day. We give you praise. In your precious name, amen.